today we're actually going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about moms a little bit. Um, and, and so one of the things I want you to remember in this series on parenting, even if you aren't a parent, even if you don't have kids of your own, uh, trust me when I say this, if you are involved in the lives of kids, you're a parent. You're absolutely a parent. Um, today we were doing uh, Mother's Day cards and stuff like that, and, and I don't know if they've already gotten it or not, but, um, but Sarah Wilson, who just stepped out, Sarah Wilson is a lady in our church that uh, when my parents uh, moved away at one point, Sarah Wilson became like de facto grandma to my kids. And, and if you've been in church long enough, you know that you've got parents and aunts and uncles all over the place. You can't survive without the church, without the people around you helping you. And so even if you're not a parent, uh, there's still a role that you play in the lives of kids. So a lot of these things that we talk about today are going to be very um, important for you to remember as well. So uh, Bobby already shared with you that he and I went on a, on a universal trip uh, with, our, with our daughters and a whole bunch of little uh, seventh and eighth grade girls. Twelve hours, one way, on a bus. I know Universal doesn't take that long to get there, but when you're on a bus with that many girls, it does. It was twelve hours. It felt like 72. Um, it was a long ways down and a long ways coming back. I uh, had to listen to a whole lot of kids talk about a whole lot of dumb stuff, right? And so, um, so we were on the bus with all these kids. And, and one of the things I noticed being around some of the other parents, there was one other man on the trip, one other dad on the trip. And um, after the orientation at the middle school, Bobby and I never saw him again. And so Bobby and I had to stick together the whole time. We're like, it's you and me, and, um, and we're going to try to figure this thing out with all these girls. Uh, but we, there was a lot of moms, a lot of moms on the trip. And one of the things I learned is everybody has a different parenting style. Now, thankfully, when it comes to daughters, Bobby and I kind of share a lot of similarities. And so he and I were able to work well together with our daughters. But um, we saw some of these other moms. I mean, one night, and and if any of these moms is is watching right now, um, I'm I'm really sorry. I'm not talking bad about you. Uh, But but one of the moms, like we're we're at, uh, what's it called, Disney Springs, the first night for dinner. And there's, we're eating dinner, and there's people everywhere. If you've never been there, it's, it's like a little shopping center. And there's people everywhere. And one of the moms was, like, telling her daughter and the friends, the other girls at the table, if you guys want to go out and go shopping, y'all go ahead, and we'll stay here. And Bobby and I looked at our daughters, and we're like, not you. Not you. They can go shopping. You're staying here, you know. And, and Bobby was probably looking at Maddie saying, I've got enough money for you to go shopping, but I've got to protect you. And I was looking at Emma and I was thinking, I don't have the money or the protection for you. So you stay right here. You're like, your butt is staying at the table. They didn't go shopping. And I looked over at this guy that was there and, and um, he wasn't part of our group. He's just a friend of this lady. I don't. Anyways, long story. I don't know how this guy ended up there. And I was like, I don't trust, I don't trust other people like to let my daughter just go randomly shopping around this place without me watching her. And, um, and the guy was like, oh, there's security guards at the entrances. And I'm like, yeah, have you ever watched Dateline one time in your life? Have you ever watched to catch a smuggler? Like they can hide a kid in a bag like that. I mean, they'll fold them up, put them in a bag, carry them out. That is not going to happen to my daughter. A, she's about eight feet tall and she wouldn't fit in a bag, but still, I'm not going to allow it to happen. And so there's different parenting styles. And then on the, on the trip back, as we were, as we were driving back, I was, I was doing a little bit of studying and, and I, was, I was reading through this article and, and, and this article was in uh, some magazine called The Atlantic. I don't know, I just found the article. And, and one of the things they talked about was how, how everybody has a different parenting style and every book you read and and, and every guy you listen to, they're all going to tell you a different way of doing things. Some people are going to tell you that you got to swaddle your babies super tight. Other people tell you if you swaddle your babies too tight, then they're going to suffocate. So you got to make it loose. And then other people say, don't swaddle your babies at all. And then some people say you got to lay them on their backs and some of them you got to lay them on their bellies and you got to lay them on their sides and it's so confusing and as a parent you never know what you're supposed to do we've got three kids and every one of them slept different right you never let a kid in your bed you always put a kid in your bed you 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 have to breastfeed you don't have to breastfeed you give them a passy you don't give them a passy if you give them a passy their teeth are going to be messed up and you just never know how to deal with stuff we went through that. I mean, G2, we got him off his passy like two years ago. And, and like, he's good. He's good. No braces yet. 
And so there's all these different things. And so here's one of the things I noticed about parenting. We all have different styles and nobody's style is necessarily right or wrong. And if there are a a variety of styles, then then what's the point of preaching a message? And here's what I here's what I figured out. You may have a different style as me, but here's what we need. We need the same foundation, the same principles to build our styles from. Okay? So today we're going to talk about discipline, and your style of discipline and my style of discipline might be different, and that's okay that we discipline differently, but it still needs to come from the same foundation. So today what I want to do is I want to give us three principles that we can build our parenting style from. These principles are going to be godly, they're going to be biblical, and as a matter of fact, the first principle is going to be straight Jesus, how he dealt with kids, okay? So principle number one today, principle number one is we have to learn how to connect with our kids. There has to be a connection with our kids. I I, I talk to people all the time. Um, I see different parents and different kids in different situations, And, and one of the things I've noticed over time is that there are a lot of parents that have zero connection with their children. Outside of the fact that they live in the same home. Now, I worked at a school for a number of years as a behavioral interventionist. And, and all that is is a fancy term for give him the bad kids. Right? So I'm the one that when a kid is, you know, pulling a knife on somebody. Or when a kid is cussing out a teacher. Or when a kid is hitting another kid. I was the one that had to go break all that up and drag that kid into another room. Like, that was my job is to deal with those kind of kids. And, and one of the things that I noticed with a lot of those kids is there was very little connection to parents. Or maybe there was very little connection to dad. There was very little connection to mom. There was some kind of disconnect somewhere in there. Um, I, I had kids, I had some kids that, that dad had full custody, and, and they, they never saw their mom. I had other kids that mom had custody, they never saw their dad. I had some kids that lived with their parents, and they never really saw their parents. Their parents just sent them to their room. You go play video games, go watch TV, just don't bother us. Because we're adults and we got to do our adult thing. And so what happens is sometimes as parents, we get so sidetracked by what we want to do that we forget that there's little kids in our house or teenagers in our house or adults that, that we raised that still need that connection. And so there's, there's a couple of verses I want you to look at today. Matthew chapter 19. And then we'll go to Mark chapter 10, Matthew 19, 13 and 15. It's the same story, just two different writers writing it. So in Matthew, here's what he wrote about this in verse 13. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Mark gives us uh, less Writing about it, but a little bit more detail. So Mark says in in 10, 16, he says, Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Let, let Let me tell you four different ways that you can connect with your kids. Number one, you can connect with quality time. Jesus said this, let the children come. Let the children come to me. Like, bring them here. I've got time. Jesus is a busy guy. The reason that the disciples don't want Jesus messing with kids is because the disciples are trying to, trying to help him have more time to do other things. Jesus says there's nothing more important right now than for me to hang out with these kids. Let the children come. We need to have quality time with our kids. Quality time with our kids. One of the things about having quality time with your kids, I I, I read this study from 2019. It says this, that kids who spend quality time with their parents and quality time is not necessarily hours and hours and hours. Quality time sometimes is 15 minutes of undivided attention. Here's what it says. The kids end up being physically healthier, less likely to abuse drugs and alcohol and have fewer behavior issues at home and at school. Why? Because they know that there's somebody They can talk to, they can go to, they've got someone that they can spend quality time with. Now, one of the things I used to get mad, I was was telling uh, Bobby this one time, uh, I mean, on this trip, is we were talking about just, he was telling me how he and Michelle met and dated, and I was telling him how Perry and I met and dated, and and I told him, I said, yeah, there was one time um, whenever we were dating, I wanted to go out with Perry, I wanted to take her out on a date, and she said, I can't go out because my parents said, we got to have family time. And I was like, okay. 
that's fine. Y'all have family time. So I called her later and I was like, how's family time going? She said, well, I'm in my room. Wendy's in her room. Jonathan's in his room. Murray's gone and my parents are downstairs. And I was like, that is not family time. I got so mad, man. I was so mad. I was so mad. And Sonny and Linda, if you're watching today, I'm forgiving you. I'm in a process of forgiving. But the point is, the point is kids need quality time with their parents. And, and, and I'll say this, I was going to, it kind of mixes in with my next point. Quality time isn't necessarily you going to watch your kid play a sport. That's you sacrificing your time. And I let my kids know right off the bat, I have sacrificed hours and hours and hours of my life to watch you stand on the sideline. And I will not do it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I tell my kids all the time, there are as many sacrifices that I've made to watch you play a sport or watch you sing on stage. I, I just drove, I rode 12 hours one way to see my daughter sing on stage for 20 minutes and she was done. And I was like, we came this far and paid that much money for 20 minutes, 20 minutes. And they won the award first place. They were the only choir. Those kids were like, we won. I was like, you were the only one. Dumb, dumb. I'm a little bitter today. I'm still trying to work through my stuff. But the point is, quality time is me and my kids sitting down talking. Me and my kid having, having something to do. The, the next one is this. So quality time and then common ground. Common ground is a way that you can connect with your kid. Common ground bleeds over into quality time. They kind of they work themselves together. Because Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I know you're thinking, wow, that's a stretch. Here's what I want you to notice about what Jesus did. Jesus said, number one, let the kids come here. Number two, Jesus put them in the middle of the group, and he began to use them as an illustration. He began to connect with them and find some common ground so that the kids could understand, hey, you're a part of this kingdom just like the adults are. You're a part of what I'm doing just like the adults are. Jesus found a place of common ground with those kids. And parents, we have to find a place of common ground with our kids. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says this, When I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. What's the point? I've got to have quality time, but that quality time needs to be found on common ground. I need to find a way for me to connect with my kids, and it may be something that I don't like, and that's okay. If the only way that you find common ground with your kids is by dragging them to something that you want to do, that's not common ground. And so one of the things that I've done with my kids, uh, and I know some other parents have done the same thing, is there's been times when, whenever I learned to watch cartoons that I didn't necessarily care for, right? But I learned all about little Einsteins when I, was, when, I was, uh, when I had Gabriel, when G2 was a baby. And G2 and I would watch little Einsteins. I didn't make him watch baseball. He didn't understand it. He didn't care anything about it. I didn't make him watch football. We found common ground in other areas. Now we have the common ground. Uh, if LSU is on TV, he and I will sit down and we'll watch LSU. We'll watch the Saints. We have that common ground. That common ground changes over time. We find common ground. I, I learned um, all about Minecraft when my kids were little. I learned about Fortnite. Colt came in the room the other day. He said, Dad, do you want to play Fortnite? And on the inside, I thought, there is nothing um, I want to do less right now than play Fortnite. I could, not, I, I could not tell you how much I do not want to play Fortnite. I didn't tell Colt that. I was like, yeah, man, let's play Fortnite. I'll play two games with you. And so we played Fortnite, and I got absolutely destroyed by all of Colt's 11-year-old friends. You know what I mean? And, and, and if you don't know what Fortnite is, don't worry about it. Like, you'll find out if you're a parent, you'll probably find out at some point. But sometimes it, it might be a video game, it might be a cartoon, it might be a sport, it might be a movie. Um, there, there's been times with my kids that, uh, with Emma and I, I, I don't sing in choirs, I don't play volleyball. Um, and so Emma and I may not necessarily always connect on those levels, but then all of a sudden there may be some kind of movie that she wants to watch. And so Emma and I will sit down and we'll watch movies together and we'll, we'll go on obviously choir trips together. To, but, but something with Emma and I, she loves roller coasters. None of my kids have any fear when it comes to riding rides. And so it's like, hey, we go on a trip. We're going to ride roller coasters. Emma's my partner. I mean, Emma rode every ride with me, and we would get on the fastest, scariest rides, and Emma's right there beside me. So we have that place of common ground that we can have quality time on common ground that both of us can connect. The third thing Jesus did is he had a loving touch. 
It says he placed his hands on their heads. Um, Listen, their, their studies have shown that whenever you touch your kids lovingly, when you touch your kids lovingly, that it releases oxytocin, which causes mood and behavior changes. There's a place, guys, where, where we have to touch our kids lovingly. My wife is constantly trying to hug my kids. Now, Colt, our youngest, he's the sweetest one. He's the meanest one sometimes, but he's the sweetest one sometimes, right? And, and he will come up to Perry and he'll say, Mama, I love you for no reason. And he hugs her and he kisses her. Isn't that awesome? Moms, do you love that? And then Perry will try to hug Gabriel and Gabriel will run away from her like she's got the plague. Even right now, he's just like, oh, oh. I'll go up to Emma. I'll say, Emma, give dad a hug. And as I go to hug Emma, she will immediately turn her back to me and do this. And I'm just like, it's like a weird statue that breathes. I don't understand what's happening. I'm like, when you hug me, put your arms around me. She said, this is my hug, dad. I was like, your husband's going to hate you, you know. <laughs> it's important that we have those loving touches. And, and it's important. There's, listen, we're on this choir trip and we've got all these other girls around us. And I still find time to reach my arm around my daughter. I still find time to give her a kiss on the cheek or the forehead. She may hate it, but you know what? It's what she needs, even if she doesn't understand it. When I used to work at the school as a, as a behavioral interventionist, one of the things that I noticed is they taught us these, these maneuvers and these ways that you wrap up a kid, right? If a kid's being bad, you, you find their hands and you pull their hands behind them and, and, and you hold them like that. And, and they teach us this stuff and how to take them down to the ground. Yes, they teach you how to take kids to the ground. The problem is that these, these um, concepts are more for high school kids. But whenever you've got a kindergartner that is literally throwing desks across the classroom, you still have to do the same maneuver, but he's a kindergartner. And I remember one time this one kindergartner, he's going nuts and he's, he, he's going ballistic and he's cussing and he's yelling and he's trying to find scissors so he can stab me and it, everything's going haywire. And I finally got all the weapons out of his hand and I got him wrapped up and I'm holding this kid basically in a bear hug. And, and the kid is screaming and yelling and he's headbutting me and he's kicking the other lady. And as I'm holding him, all of a sudden, everything just relaxed. And when he relaxed, he began to cry. And I remember him just relaxing in my arms and he turned his body towards me and buried his face in my chest and he just wanted to be held. And then I find out that at home, his home life was trash. His home life was garbage. Mom and dad just left him with cousins and, and, and friends and never had quality time, never had common ground, never had loving touch. So what did the kid need? The kid needed somebody just to love on him, just to hold him. Now, look, I know I'm going to tell you a bunch of stuff today. And some of you are going to be like, you don't know my kid. I get it, man. There's kids that have special needs. And the way you parent a kid with special needs is different than the way you parent another kid. Perry and I both in in school have, have worked with kids with special needs. We've worked a lot with kids that have autism, and autism is a spectrum, and there's different levels of autism. My, my nephew has autism, and he, he's nonverbal, and um, there's times when he can seem very violent. But you know what? At the end of the day, you still have to parent, you still have to discipline, you still have to love, you still have to train, you still have to lead. And, and so you may say, hey, you know, you don't know my kids. Trust me, I don't know your kids, but I do know this. They still need a loving touch. They still need quality time. They still need common ground. The Bible says that he encouraged. Um, the next thing is we got to encur- have encouraging talk. The Bible says that Jesus blessed them. Proverbs sixteen twenty four says, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Our family is very sarcastic. I tell you all the time that I thought my name was stupid until I was about seven or eight years old because of the way my dad raised me. My mom would have never said that to me, but my dad is not a good parent. I mean, obviously. <laughs> Because I was so stupid. That's right. That's right. If I just would have been smarter. And so we're very sarcastic. And, and, and um, some people would say mean in our family. We're not mean. We love each other very much. Um, and and I, I noticed that with myself, with my kids. I, I can be very sarcastic with my kids. I can be semi-mean to my kids, as you guys know, as I preach. Um, some people said, someone said a couple weeks ago, they said, you better hope your kids don't grow up to be preachers. Because you are going to get crucified. Um, the, the thing is, though, if, if I'm not careful, I, I don't have, I've got to always balance what I say in jokes 
with encouraging words on the backside of that. Like there's always got to be that place where I'm loving my kids, I'm encouraging my kids. And, and it's not a matter of making everybody seem better than what they really are. It's a matter of just being a blessing to your children with your words. There's a story that I used to use a lot when I was talking about parenting and talking about our words. Um, that if you ever read the book of Ruth, uh, in, in the book of Ruth, it talks about this guy and his wife. And they had two boys. And um, at some point in the story, the husband dies and the two boys end up, end up dying as well. And that's how Ruth becomes a, a, a widow and all that kind of stuff. The story of Ruth goes on. But one of the things I did is I looked up the two boys' names in Hebrew. And the two boys' names that ended up dying, one of them's name was death and the other one's name was sickness. And I'm like, yeah, if you grow up when someone's calling you death and sickness all the time, you're pretty much speaking that over your kids. And so there's this place where we've got to make sure that we're always encouraging our kids. It doesn't mean that you don't discipline. We'll get into that in just a second. It doesn't mean that you don't correct but you always have to have an encouragement to go with whatever it is you're saying with your kids. So the next principle. So those are the, that first principle is the principle of connection. Like we've got to have connection with our children. Um, the, the next principle is the principle of discipline. And, and, and really, you could call the principle of discipline the principle. If, if one is connection, this one would be protection, right? Like, like discipline is super important in the life of a child. As a matter of fact, um, my mother-in-law used to say that kids want to be spanked. Like that's what my mother-in-law said. Now some of y'all like spanking, you're the devil. I'm calling the cops. No. Um, My mother-in-law used to say that. And what she meant was kids desire discipline. Kids desire discipline. And and I think that's the truth. Uh, Bobby would tell me stories on the way down. You'll hear a lot of universal stories, but on the way down, because we had 12 hours and a bunch of teenage girls. So we talked to each other a lot. Um, but he, would tell, he was telling me a story about a kid that he coached in baseball. And that kid, you know, was always mean to his parents, was always popping off, was always bad, always getting in trouble. And so Bobby got him on the baseball field. And when Bobby got on the, on the baseball field, the first time that kid acted up, he's like, you're going to run. You're going to run until I tell you that you can't run anymore. And then he just made the kid run. And he disciplined and disciplined and disciplined. And he said by the end of the year, that kid was the one saying, hey, can I pray for the team before we go out on the game? Can I, you know, he was always the most helpful. He was the best kid by the end of the year. Why? Because Because the kid desired, he doesn't know it, but he desires a level of discipline in his life. He desires somebody to protect him and watch out for him and guide him and direct him. We need to discipline our children and how you do it is going to be different. And we'll get into that. But here's the thing about discipline. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. I'm going to give you a lot of Proverbs. Uh, It says this, discipline your children for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Let me say that again. Discipline your children for in that there is hope. If you want your kids to have hope in their life, you need to discipline your kids. If you don't, the Bible says you are a willing party to their death. In other words, an undisciplined child is going to do some really stupid stuff. Listen, my kids are disciplined and they still do stupid stuff. I was disciplined and I did stupid stuff. Can you imagine what happens when you're not disciplined at all? It's even worse. And the Bible says, if you're not going to discipline your, your kids, then, then what you're doing is you're a willing party to their destruction at some point. We've got to learn how to discipline. And so there's a couple of things when it comes to discipline that I feel like are important. Number one, your goal in discipline should always be instruction and reconciliation. Proverbs 29, uh, 15 and 17 says this, A rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces his mother. Discipline, verse 17, Discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. A couple of things that you need to remember whenever I discipline my kid. I'm not disciplining my kid because I'm mad at my kid or I'm trying to punish my kid. I discipline my kid. Why? Because I want to correct. I want to bring instruction. But at the same time, I want to bring reconciliation. So something with when my kids get in trouble, one of the things that happens when they get disciplined, if they get spanked or they get grounded or whatever happens to my kids, whenever they get disciplined at our home, one of the last things that happens is they get they get prayed with. And they get told that they're loved and they're forgiven. And from that point forward, it's a non-issue. It's a non-issue. It's over at the point of discipline. I'm not going to keep bringing it back up over and over and over again. Why? Because I am reconciling myself to my kid. And isn't that the same thing that God does? I mean, I mean, listen, 
whenever God corrects us and disciplines us, the idea is not just to hurt us and make us feel shame and make us feel guilt. The idea is so that he can reconcile us to himself. He wants to bring us back into relationship, but our actions are pulling us out of relationship with him because we're choosing to ignore him. We're choosing to avoid him. We're choosing to go an opposite direction. So whenever I discipline or God disciplines us, he's bringing us back into that reconciliation, back into that relationship with him. So you need to remember that. Here's another little side note on that because I noticed something that it says here in Proverbs 29, 15. It says a rod and a reprimand. And let me just say this. Some people are going to ask a question. Is it okay to spank? Is it okay to, to hit? Is it okay to ground? Is it okay to time out? Is it okay to... Yes. Like, I can't tell you one good answer for that. Here's the thing that someone taught me a long time ago is you have to find the button. Some of you guys that are pregnant right now, or, or ladies, you're not, guys aren't pregnant, but some of you ladies that are pregnant, um, listen, you're going to have to find the button. You're going to have to find out what works for your kid, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for all your kids, right? Some of you guys are, are, are you're, you're, you may have twins, right? And, and, and the thing is, even with twins, one way of discipline one kid may be different than how you discipline the other kid. And you're like, yeah, but they came out at the same time. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Kids are different, and how you discipline is different. For me, growing up, my... The way my parents disciplined me, yes, I got spankings and, and all that, but, but there was a point in my life, well, don't shake your head, just because you didn't hit me, just because just you didn't do it doesn't mean he didn't do it, and um, <laughs> listen, she can talk big all she wants, but she tried to whip me one time, and when she did, it did not hurt, and I sat there on the bed like, wait, what, was that it? <laughs> and I think she realized that what she did didn't work. She's like, when your dad gets home, I was like, ah, I'm done now. You know, like, I don't want dad to hit me, but mom didn't know how to do it real good, and I was thankful for that. <laughs> the, the point is, I remember one time getting in a whole lot of trouble, and, and, and when I got in a lot of trouble, I remember my dad sitting down with me, and he looked, looked at me, and, um, and he said, I'm, I'm very disappointed in you. And it broke me. And I was like, oh, man, I wish he'd whip me. Like, if you would just whip me, if you would just take me upstairs and whip me, it'd be five minutes of my life, and then it would be over. But don't tell me you're disappointed in me, because when, I'm, when you're disappointed in me, now I've got to figure out a way to get back into that favor. Like, that was my mindset. Like, it absolutely crushed me. And so you're going to notice that with some kids, it's going to be different. Every kid's going to be different in how you discipline. The Bible says a rod and a reprimand. There are two different ways that the Bible's showing you right here. And, and for everyone, it's going to be different. There, I, I sat down, Colt got in trouble the other day, my youngest, he got in trouble, and I said, son, let me ask you a question. I said, if you had the choice of a whipping, or I take away all your devices, video games, iPad, whatever, all of your stuff for a month, or you get a whipping, which one would you choose? He said, whip me right now. <laughs> and I said, awesome, all your video games are gone. Like, all your stuff is gone. It's all mine, right? Like, like, he told me which one I really needed to do. And I'm just saying, everybody's, everybody's going to be different on this, and that's okay. But the principles of discipline still have to be there. So the principles of discipline is, uh, I, I'm disciplining him because I want instruction and reconciliation. Another thing about discipline is discipline has to be correction driven by love, not by anger. You should never discipline your child in anger, if you, I'm going to be bold here. If you discipline your child in anger, in my opinion, you are abusing your child. Exactly. I don't care if it's the greatest discipline you've ever heard of. I, I knew a lady one time, she was a social worker, and whenever her kid got in trouble, she took the door off the hinges, she took the mattress out of his room. Um, no, she took the bed out of his room, she put a mattress on the floor, she put one blanket, one pillow, took all of his clothes out of his room, she left him with a pair of underwear, a pair of shorts, a t-shirt, and that was all that was in his room. And the kid was like, I'm going to call DHR. She's like, I work for DHR. I know exactly the bare minimum that you have to have before you can call DHR. And that's what I'm giving you. That was a great discipline. That kid got his life together quick. But the thing is, if she would have done it in anger, now she's just trying to hurt somebody. If you spank someone in anger, now you're just trying to hurt somebody. If you take away stuff in anger. So here's what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. It says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? 
He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Ephesians 4, 26. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. One of the things that we've decided as parents is we're never going to discipline our kids out of anger. If my kid makes me upset and deserves correction, I will go to my room and chill out until I can be calm. I will go pray. I'll turn on worship music. I'll light a candle. I'll do whatever it takes, but I'm not going to go punish my child while I'm angry. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it to be in sin. And my kid's not going to learn anything. What my kid learns is, oh, when you're mad, you hit somebody. When you're mad, you take something from somebody. And I don't want my child growing up like that. I want my child to understand that discipline comes from a place of love, not a place of anger. Here's the other thing. Discipline the heart and the character more than the action. I think sometimes we discipline our kids over their actions And really the action isn't an issue. It's the heart behind the action, right? So one time I remember as a kid, I was walking through the house and I had a jar of mayonnaise. And I, back when mayonnaise was made out of glass, jars were made out of glass. And, um, and I dropped the jar of mayonnaise in the, in the kitchen and it broke all over the floor. And I remember immediately thinking, my dad's going to whip me. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And my dad was like, what are you sorry for as an accident? You didn't mean to do that. We'll clean it up. Like, I'll help you. Let's clean this thing up. We'll throw it away. It's okay. It's all good. And I started learning at, at a young age. Okay, I did something that I would think would be wrong, but it wasn't wrong. Why wasn't it wrong? It wasn't wrong because my, my heart was correct. In the, it was an accident. Now, if I were to take that same jar of mayonnaise and throw it up against the wall because I was mad at somebody, discipline, discipline, right? Lots of discipline would have happened to me. Lots and lots of discipline. And so you got to understand that there's a heart and an action that we need to deal with. I mean, there's a heart that, that leads to the action. In, in Proverbs 4.23, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So the, the thing about discipline is I discipline my kid's heart and their attitude and, and their character more than I discipline the action. Again, we had an issue in our home where, where one child did something at school, and on face value, it was wrong. It was wrong. But it wasn't that wrong. You know what I mean? Like, my wife's a teacher, so I get it. Like, sometimes teachers exaggerate. Like, they make a big deal out of something that's really not that big a deal. I'm just saying. Like, she knows it. I know it. You know it. Um, y'all, y'all can boo all you want, but it's the truth. Everybody, you, sometimes we make a big deal out of something that's not really that big a deal. And so whenever we talked to our kid about that issue, one of the things we said was, we get it. What you did isn't a huge issue. But the heart behind what you did, we have to work on your character. Because when you grow up, what seems to be like a petty thing in our eyes will one day become a big thing because it's the heart behind it. The character is what we've got to work on. The morals is what we've got to work on. And so that's one of those things that we always deal with the heart more than we deal with the actions. The, the next thing on that is be consistent, be prompt, and be unified in your discipline. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel like it's safe to do wrong. Whenever you're disciplining your kid, you need to discipline quickly. Don't wait. Don't wait. Now, I understand if, if your parent, you and your spouse have decided which one of you is the disciplinarian and which one of you is not, that's okay. I understand the wait till dad gets home aspect if you want to do that. But I, I'm telling you, you need to discipline quickly. You need, to, you need to get it over with. You need to deal with it while it's fresh. Because the, the thing is, if you just let it go and you, you let it go, then you become inconsistent with your discipline. So now kids are confused. Can I do this or can I not do this? Well, let's just see how many boundaries I can push. Let's see how many buttons I can push before. Because dad says he's going to do something. And that's another thing. Don't ever threaten a kid without following through. Dad says he's going to do it, but dad always says he's going to do it. And then he never does anything. Your kid recognizes that. Kids aren't dumb. They're going to push those boundaries as far as they'll push them. So be quick, be prompt, and be unified. You and your spouse, if you've got a spouse living at home, some of you guys are, are single parents or some of you guys are divorced and you're trying to raise, you're trying to co-parent with a parent that's not at home. Listen, even if you're trying to co-parent with a parent that's not there all the time, you need to be unified on what, what rules are established and not established because they may be at your house one weekend, they may be at their house one weekend, and you two need to be unified because what kids will do kids don't know any better they're going to work the system they always do we always do we're humans 
We work the system, and they're going to work one parent against the other. Even if you guys don't get along on everything, be unified in your discipline. The Bible says this in, Act, in Amos 3, 3. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? You've got to have the same direction. You've got to be in agreement when it comes to disciplining your kids. And then the, kind of the last one here when it comes to discipline, and then we'll move on and we'll, we'll shut it down. The last one is this. Don't always rescue a child from their consequences. Some parents try to rescue their kids from every single thing. Don't always rescue your kids. Your, your kids don't always need you to wash their clothes. Your kids don't always need you to bring their homework to school. Your kids don't always need you to be helicopter mom and helicopter dad and rescue them from every little thing. Because here's the thing. If they don't learn a lesson in your home, then the world, when they get out in the big world, they will learn that lesson. And it will be a much harder lesson out there. The Bible says this in Galatians 6, 7. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You've got to allow your kids to feel some pain from their choices. And that's hard to do. Another one Bobby and I were talking about on the way. I'll use his examples so that my kids don't know what's coming up, right? So um, Bobby was telling me that, you know, while Jasek, and Jasek's here, while Jasek was coming up, you know, it was a constant, hey, check your grades, let's do this, about grades, 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 grades. And then at some point, Bobby and Michelle said, okay, he's a senior, and as a senior, he's going to have to learn how to study on his own. He's going to have to learn how to be disciplined, to, to take care of his homework and do all this stuff. So we're not going to, and they told him, I think they told him, I hope they told him, Jasek, you may be learning this for the first time right now. But it was like, hey, man, we're not gonna we're not gonna constantly be hovering over you about your grades. If you get bad grades, it's gonna you're gonna pay the consequences for it whenever you try to go to college. Like there's gonna be a level of consequence you're gonna pay for not studying right now. And we can't always be there to do that for you. We I remember one time when I was a kid, this other kid was uh, we were at a dinner, and I don't I don't understand the 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 framework of how this was happening. I'm a little bit too young to remember all of what was happening. Um, it might have been like a, an, an Asian uh, deal or whatever, but they brought out this huge bowl or pot of, of food, and it was hot, apparently, like maybe still on fire, I can't remember. And I remember the, um, one of the parents told their kid, don't touch that, it's hot. You know what that means. That kid reached out and grabbed a hold of that thing and burned him, and he starts screaming and crying. I learned a lesson that day. If someone says it's hot, don't touch it. Right? I learned that lesson. That kid learned that lesson. He learned that lesson a lot harder than I did. But the point is, what we, what we do sometimes as parents is that kid goes to reach out for that. And like, no, 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 don't touch it. No, 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 don't touch it. And, and, and I get it. I, we don't want our kid to be blistered and hurt. I understand the concept. But we do that with a lot of things in life is we try to hover over our kids and we try to bubble wrap our kids and we try to insulate our kids and we try to make sure that our kids never feel any pain. Listen, that's not realistic. Your kids are going to fall down. Your kids are going to get hurt. Your kids are going to have, they're going to get sick. There's going to be pain. They're going to have consequences to their actions. The teacher, the, whenever we had the little issue with the school thing, and, and I told Colt the whole, how do you want to be punished, and all that kind of stuff, the, the administrator called us from the school. And he said, hey, Mr. Wright, you know, i got a couple of options for you. And I'm like, no one ever gave my parents options on how to discipline me. That was stupid. And he was like, Mr. I've got a couple options for you. We can, um, we can strongly reprimand your, your son, or we can uh, give your son in-school detention for, for this thing. I'm making Colt sound terrible. He, it was not, okay, stupid little reading test. This kid, Colt already knew it. He read the books. This kid goes, hey, Colt, what happened in this part of the book? And Colt told him. And when the kid got a good score, he told his parents that Colt helped him cheat on the test. And so was he cheating? No, he wasn't cheating. Yes, he was cheating. <laughs> Morally, you see my conundrum. Morally, it was wrong. It was wrong. But I can see Colt's point of view too. The dude asked me a question. I answered the question. So anyways, anyways, all of that, they want to give him in school detention for answering this kid's question. Um, and, and so, uh, I forgot where I was going with that story, but anyways, the point is we told the guy, we're like, look, man, you do what you got to do. Like, if you want to put him in detention, put him in detention. You want to strongly reprimand him, you do that. And I, but I told the guy, I said, but just know this, my son will pay for, pay for what he did at home. He will be disciplined at home, strongly. And the guy was like, all right, Mr. Wright. I said, you do what you got to do. You know, you, 
And so Colt apparently got reprimanded. I don't know. Um, he didn't go to detention. But it's okay to allow that to happen. We've got a dog uh, that, that is an escape artist and always try to get out of the fence. So I got an electric wire, and I put the wire around the fence on the inside. The point was not to punish my dog. I love my dog. I want my dog to stay alive, right? We had another dog that got out and didn't stay alive. So, so I want this one to stay alive a little bit longer. So we, we put a wire around the fence. Now listen, I didn't go down to the fence with the dog, and every time the dog went to sniff the wire, I didn't pull it back. Why? Because the dog would never learn that that, hot, that wire is hot and it's going to pop her. So what did I do? I walked down to the fence. The dog walks with me. I just stood there and I watched. And I allowed the dog to touch the wire. That dog went, and ran up the hill. Guess who never goes to the bottom of the the yard anymore? That dog. Every time we go by a chain link fence when we're walking, she'll look at that chain link fence and be like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to get on this side just in case. It looks like my yard, right? What happened? She learned something. Was I trying to punish her? Was I trying to hurt her? Absolutely not. I'm trying to protect her life. I'm trying to keep her from dying because our street is dangerous. And so I don't want her to die. But I got to make her, she's got to feel a little bit of pain to understand. Does that make sense? My final thought is this. The, the third principle. So, so we got to connect. We got to discipline. And then we got to lead. We've got to lead our children. We, the kids need a leader. They don't need a friend. They need a leader. Listen to me again. Parents, if you've got teenagers like I do, your kids don't need friends. They've got lots of friends. They need someone that will lead them, guide them, and direct them. The Bible says this in Titus chapter 2. I've got two passages, and then we're going to stop talking. Titus chapter 2. I'm going to try to get you out of here. I know some of you are worried that we're not going to get out before First Baptist. I promise you, you will. You'll be good. You'll find lunch. Titus chapter 2, verse 6. Similarly, encourage the young... You like that, didn't you, John? Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Paul tells Timothy, here's how you lead. You lead by setting an example by doing what is good. Your kids don't just need you to teach them, they need you to show them. They need you to set the example at home. They need you to set the example at church. They need you to set the example at work. Don't come in here telling your kids they need to read their Bible if you're not reading your Bible at home. Don't tell your kids, why aren't you worshiping God if you stand there like a bump on a log and you don't ever do anything for God? Don't get mad when your kids don't want to go to church because you lay out at church all the time. I know that probably just hurt some feelings. But the fact is, kids need someone to set an example. And I'm not your kid's example. I love your kids. I had so much fun with Maddie this week. I hadn't really ever gotten to know Maddie that well, but I had a lot of fun with Maddie. She's kind of a jerk. She looks super sweet. She, she has this little sweet little voice and this little smile. But she, she can be mean, and I kind of like it. She would fit in well with my family. But the fact is, at the end of the day, I'm not her dad. I'm her pastor, but I'm not her dad. I'm not her mom. I can love her. I can go on a trip with her. But Bobby and Michelle are the ones that have to set the example. They're the ones that have to teach her. They're the ones that have to raise her and discipline her. 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is another leadership one. I want you to listen to this, guys. It's so good. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. And this is talking about church leadership, but I want you to apply this to yourself. Apply it to yourself. Don't just think, oh, this is just for Gabriel. No, no, no. This is for you. Now to the overseer, now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Verse four, 
He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? The word manage is thrown in there a couple of times. And and this is where I want to end the message today is with the word manage. The word manage in in the Greek, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It's It's a long word. It starts with a P. But it has three different definitions that are used. The first definition is this. It means to stand. It means to stand. And the word to stand there means to to be well established in character, which provides a model to help direct other people. To positively impact someone through your example. You know what God's calling you to do today? As a parent, he's calling you to manage, to be positive to stand firm. I love the fact that, that Paul says they, they shouldn't be given to drunkenness, not violent, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He goes through these kind of sinful things. And what does that mean? It means when those things tempt you, you stand firm in those. One of the best things you can ever do for your kid is to lead your kid by example, that when your kid grows up, they can look back on their life and they can say, you know what? I remember when my mom was tempted. I remember when people wanted to, wanted to, to get my mom riled up in a bunch of drama, but my mama was never in the drama. My dad was never uh, a lover of money. My parents always were, were frugal. My parents were always generous. My parents always loved other people. They never got in fights. Why? Because my parents chose to stand And be people of character and morals. The other thing that that the word stand there means is it means to be diligent to take the lead. Diligent to take the lead. In other words, when Paul's talking to these leaders, he said, in your own family, you should be diligent to take the lead in your family. Don't allow anybody else to lead. You lead. I know I got to hurry. I read the story of David and Absalom and, and Tamar. And, and if you've never read that story, it's an incredibly sad story as a parent. Because one of David's sons raped his sister. And that sister was never protected by her dad. David never disciplined that son. And so the sister had to go find justice in the arms of her other brother, Absalom. And when Absalom realized that my dad's not going to do anything about it, Absalom said, I'll take care of it. And he killed his brother. And then he tried to take the throne from his dad. Discipline protects. David, as good of a leader as he was for Israel, was a terrible leader among his family. And guys, I'm telling you this. I don't care what kind of CEO you become. Ladies, I don't care how much you sell and how great your house looks. And, 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 and guys, I don't care uh, what kind of awards you get. None of that stuff matters if you don't lead well in your own home. You need to lead well in your own home. When, when Bobby and I were taking these kids, and this is where I'm going to stop. When Bobby and I were taking the kids, one of the things that we did that I thought was really cool. Oh, wait, wait, sorry, 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 sorry. Another, another definition of the word manage, it literally is a name for a woman who has an impressive Christian reputation. I just thought that was really cool on Mom's Day, right? Mother's Day, manage also means for the women, it means someone that has a, a, a good reputation as a Christian. So Bobby and I are going through Universal, and there's thousands and thousands of people everywhere. And we didn't do this, like we never talked about this, it just kind of happened because we're both dads. But, but at some point, I, I, I noticed this, and Bobby said something to me about it, but, but I noticed as we're walking through, I was at the very front of our group of girls. And as I'm walking, I'm constantly looking back, going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And I'm walking, I'm leading. All right, guys, we've got to go this direction. We're going this direction. And I've got my hand up high, showing them where we're going. And I'm looking back, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All right, let's go. And we're leading, I'm leading, I'm leading. I'm out in front, I'm leading the group. And here's what Bobby was doing. Bobby's in the back of the group. 
And the whole time Bobby's in the back of the group, he's got his eye on me. He knows the direction we're going. But then now he's watching the kids. And he's watching these girls. And, and you know how little junior high girls are? They see something shiny, and they're doing this. And Bobby the whole time is going, no, 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 we're staying here. No, no, we're going this way, this way. And so Bobby is in the back doing this. I'm in the front doing this. And it hit me. That is exactly what God has called us to do as parents. We work together. One of us may be leading the way in the direction. The other one is leading the way in corralling. But we're constantly leading our children. We are never in a place, and Bobby and I never got to the place where we said, you know what, girls, we're going to just sit back and relax because we've led all day long and our feet are tired. Y'all just run around the park and have fun. We were on the whole time. As parents, we're always on. We're always leading. We're always guiding. We're always disciplining. We're always connecting. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? I've got some people that are going to come down front and they just want to take some time to pray with you today. If you're a mother today, uh, we've, we've prayed for you. We've blessed you. And, and we want to allow you to have time to go out with your family. But here's the thing. We've got a big prayer group today. I like it. At our church, one of the things we want to do is we always want to make sure that if you need prayer for anything, we've got some people that want to pray with you. And one of your prayers today may be, hey, I need prayer because I'm not leading my family well. Maybe, maybe I've tried to be friends with my kid and I've not led my kid. Maybe I've not been the spiritual leader that I need to be and I need someone just to pray with me about that. We want to pray with you today. We're not going to take long. We're not going to move you and shake you. We just want to pray with you. And, and release you, but we want to take time to help you out spiritually. There may be some of you in the room today, and you may say, look, I have, I have this need, and it has nothing to do with parenting. It has everything to do with my, my, my sin, or my morals, or my job, or my home. You may have some kind of, maybe I'm physically sick, or I've got something going on with, with something. Listen, we want to pray with you, because everything that you go through is going to affect your kids and your family. So we're going to close our eyes for just a second. And as we close our eyes, God, I just pray that you would speak. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts today. Speak to our hearts about parenting. Speak to our hearts today about about your love for us. God, I thank you that you love us and you care for us. And the Bible says that you died for our sins. You want to forgive us. You want us to repent. You want us to have change and transformation. And so we just ask today that you would speak to our hearts. And God, I just pray that if anybody needs prayer in this place, that you would give them the boldness and the courage, God, to step out and to seek what you have for them. Because you are a God that wants to connect with us. You, you may have to connect through, through Bobby and Michelle. You may have to connect through Paul and Vicki as they lay hands on us, God. That may be your way of connecting with us. But God, you want to touch us and you want to encourage us and you want to spend time with us. You want to discipline us because you love us so much and you don't want us to go off the rails. And God, you want to lead us and guide us. So I just pray right now that you would speak to our hearts in Jesus' name.